0: John chapter 13, verse 21. The Bible says, When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit, and testified and said, Most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give some, something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, and that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where am I where I am going? You cannot follow me. Uh, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. This is God's word. The title of the message this morning is simply this, a new commandment, a new commandment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for your people gathered here to worship you, Lord. Now I pray as you, uh, as we've opened the word that you would fill me with your spirit and let the words that I say be the words that you want me to say, Lord. And may you bless it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Movie reboots are controversial. There are those people who say that the original movie of whatever movie you're thinking of right now is always the best version, right? While some people say the ones that are the people that were born perhaps after the movie was made and they see the remake, they say that no, the the remake is better than the reboot. Uh, Me and my wife watched uh, this movie called Tron Legacy uh, on Disney+. Plus. And how many of you have seen the movie, Tron Legacy? Anybody? Okay, a few of us. Well, it's a reboot of the original movie by the same name, Tron. And that was made in the 80s. And to watch the two movies side by side and the graphics and all of the acting and all of those things side by side is pretty funny because you can see just how far technology has come. In 2021, Steven Spielberg made West Side Story, a reboot of the 1961 West Side Story. And opinions are widespread about this one. I've seen the old one. I've not yet seen the new one. But there are a lot of people who say the remake is just as good as or better than the original. Whatever your opinion is, I do not know. But the point is this. When Jesus talks about a reboot, whenever he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment, the reboot is better than the original. Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment. And it is that commandment that is the focus of the sermon this morning. What can we learn and what can we apply from this passage? There's a lot of things going on, but the singular idea that I think we can take away is this. We ought to love others the way Jesus loves us. We ought to love others the way Jesus loves us. You know, in spite of being betrayed, in spite of knowing that he would be denied by Peter, in spite of being knowing that he would be betrayed by Judas, who's sitting at the same table as he is right now, Jesus still loved his disciples enough to go to the cross for them. And I want us to look this morning at three ways. How does Jesus love us? I want us to look at three ways that Jesus loves us and how we can apply this new commandment for our lives. The first thing I see in this passage that we have before us this morning is this, that Jesus shows love to his betrayer. Jesus shows love to his betrayer. Look at verse number 21. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Jesus knew who it was. Wouldn't be surprising to us, right? But what is surprising to us is that Jesus knew who would betray him and still washed his feet, as we saw last week, and still gave Judas a piece of bread. He still demonstrated love to Judas. Jesus knows whether you are truly a Christian this morning or not. Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows whether you've truly trusted in him to be your Savior or not. You can fool everybody else in this room. You can fool me. You can fool everybody in this church. The person you will not fool is Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that the disciples did not know who it was. The disciples asked him in verse 28, no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. What does Jesus do? He Because in verse 25, Uh, John asks Jesus, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? And Jesus said, it's the one that I'm going to give this piece of bread to when I dip it. The disciples had no clue. They'd spent three years with Judas, just as Jesus had. And they still had no idea that Judas was not one of them. Judas was not a Christian. Judas did not truly accept Jesus as his Savior. Jesus knew that the disciples didn't. Maybe there's one among us today that does not know Jesus as their Savior. You can fool anybody in this room. You can spend years in the same church. You could have everybody in the church think that you are the most righteous of those people in the church, and you can still be lost without Christ. Jesus knows who you are. And yet, we find that Jesus honors Judas. Well, I've always wondered what the significance of of this bread that he dips and gives to Judas Iscariot. And one commentator mentions that this was a kind of custom back in the day. Similarly to how we would go to a wedding and at the reception, we sometimes make a toast to the bride and the groom, right? We make a toast or we honor the person that is there in the preeminent position. Jesus does the same thing to Judas, Dipping the piece of bread and giving it to somebody was a sign of that he was an honored guest. He was esteeming him. It was almost as if Jesus was making a toast to Judas Iscariot, as if in a last attempt to say to Judas, I love you, Judas. Would you please follow me? I love you. Judas, as we know, does not. He goes on in verse number 27. Jesus says to him, what you do, do quickly. Even Jesus, his last attempt to love Judas, Judas still turns away. You can reject Christ. You can accept Christ. And all too often I think is the case that we can beg somebody to accept the Lord. We can show them all the love in the world. Indeed, we have Jesus showing the very last efforts of love to Judas in this case, and Judas still decided, no, I'm going to reject Christ. I'm going to sell the Son of God for 30 pieces of silver. How was your heart this morning? Are you a Christian today? We say it almost every week, or I preach it almost every week. Jesus has died for your sins. He has risen from the grave and you can accept Jesus as your Savior this morning and know that you are on your way to heaven. The one person that did not do this that we know of was Judas Iscariot. Don't make the same mistake that Judas did. Jesus shows love to Judas, but at the same time in verse 30, and I think this is so poignant, verse number 30, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. You see, Judas receives the bread from Jesus, but he failed to receive the bread of life. Judas has spent the last three years with Jesus. Jesus has taught, he has loved, he has done miracles, he has done all of these signs for Judas. Why did Judas stay so long with Jesus and still reject him? Did Jesus, did, I'm sorry, did Judas have the right motives for being with Jesus? Perhaps you have come to church this morning. Maybe you've made a a nominal profession of faith because you believe that Christianity can serve some other purpose in your life. Perhaps Judas thought that Jesus was a way that he could enrich himself. Maybe he saw Jesus as a way to elevate his social or religious status. Perhaps he was just caught up in the moment of Jesus starting a brand new movement and he was emotionally driven because he wanted to be a part of something that could potentially change Everything. A political solution for the Roman oppressed Jewish people, perhaps. Is Jesus merely a means to you? Are you looking at Christianity? Are you looking at Christ as merely somebody or something that can get you to the next level in life? Are you using it because, are, are you saying that you're a Christian because it preserves the peace in your family? Are you saying that you uh, adhere to Christianity because you live in the southeastern United States? Or is Jesus real to you? Have you truly accepted Jesus as your Savior? Jesus shows love to his betrayer, and he shows love to you this morning, no matter who you are no matter how far you've gone, no matter what you've done, where you've been, no matter how much you've rejected Christ, it is never, ever too late to accept him. The efforts of Jesus to reach out to Judas one last time shows this this one idea. It is this. Nobody is too far gone for Jesus. You are not too far gone for Christ. Jesus shows love to his betrayer, but this this idea is that the door is closing. You know, when boarding an aircraft, uh, whether it is in Jacksonville or some other place, whatever you go at an airport, they always give a final boarding call. And you know if you've flown in any recent days that you've got to get to the airport two hours ahead. You've got to get through security. You've got to make it through the line. You've got to go through and have your bags checked. And when it's boarding time, you better make it on the plane because after they close that door, you're not getting on. They will not open that door no matter how much money, no matter how much pleading, no matter how much you're crying. If you miss that door by 10 seconds, they're not going to open it up for you. I'm reminded of the story back in Genesis when Noah builds the ark. God tells Noah and his family to get onto the ark and... Noah doesn't shut the door. Who shuts the door? God shuts the door. It's too late. Noah's been spent the last 120 years preaching to the people around him. You'd better get in the ark or you're not going to live. My friend this morning, you'd better accept Christ because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You had better accept Christ because if you do not, you are on your way to a Christless Eternity in hell. Jesus loved Judas. He showed love to his betrayer. But number two, Jesus gives a new commandment. And that is the focus of this morning's message. He gives this new commandment because he would be gone soon. Look at verse number 33. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. Jesus tenderly and lovingly calls his disciples his little children. This is the only place in the Gospels where we find this. The only time that Jesus calls them my little children is right here in John chapter 13. It shows you how much he loves them. It shows you how important what he's about to say is. And he says this, verse number 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Wait a minute. We've known that there is two commandments in the Old Testament that we know of. There's love God and love others, right? We know that the disciples knew that the greatest commandment was love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the greatest commandment is what Jesus says. And the second one is like this. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. First two great commandments. How is this a new commandment, Jesus? How is this? How is this anything new? Aren't you just repeating what we already know? You see, the word new that is used by Jesus here is not new in the sense this is totally something you've never heard of before. It is new in the sense that Jesus adds this clause to it. He says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is different. This adds a freshness to the commandment. Yes, you ought to love God the Father. You ought to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. You ought to love your neighbor as yourself, but look at this. You ought to love each other as I have loved you. This was the new part of the commandment. We ought to love each other as Christ loves us. And how exactly does Christ love us? What did Jesus do in the very next day here? Jesus gave his life for the disciples. He laid his life down so that you and I could have a home in heaven. We could have our sins forgiven. You say, Jesus, are you really asking me to be willing enough to die for my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Well, if the Lord requires that, yes. We we, we find this as a foreign concept in the United States of America today. But I tell you this morning, church, this is not a foreign concept in places like North Korea. This is not a foreign concept in places like the underground church in China right now that is meeting privately underground because of the fear that if the government finds out, they will be executed. If you are found with a Bible in North Korea, you do not want to know the consequences. We may not even know truly what happens to the Christians in North Korea because the Korean government may not ever let us know. The idea that we would die for our faith is completely foreign to Americans. And yet people, Christians are being slaughtered every day in the Middle East, in North Korea, in China. They're meeting in secret. Love one another as I have loved you. How's your love this morning? How is your love for Christ today? You loved Christ enough to show up today. That's great. Will you love him enough to serve others? Will you love others enough to tell them about him? Will you love your family the same way that Christ loved them? Will you love them enough to pray for them, to witness to them, to evangelize them, to help them? We ought to love each other the way Jesus loved us. We see that a true disciple is marked by love. Verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice what he did not say. Jesus did not say that by your church attendance, everybody's gonna know you're my disciples. You will know, the people will know that you are my disciples because of the way that you dress. The, The people will know that you are my disciples because of the places you go or the schools you attend or the things that you abstain from. No, Jesus says that everybody is going to know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, there are a lot of Christians today that you would not know they were Christians if you just had a conversation with them. Why? Why? Because although they may look the part, they may dress the part, they may attend church every Sunday, they may, give, uh, they may give extraordinary amounts of money to the church or non-profit organizations or charities, but when you talk to them, they are the most unpleasant people you've ever been around. Like, that person's a Christian? I didn't know that. By this shall all men know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A true disciple is marked by love. In the disciples, as they're receiving this commandment, they would, they're probably thinking to themselves, everybody knows we're followers of Christ. Why? Because everywhere Jesus went, they were there. The physical presence of Jesus was all they needed to designate them as disciples of Christ. If somebody saw a disciple out in the, in the open and they saw Jesus with them, they would think, oh, they're with Jesus. He's a follower of Jesus. But notice that Jesus is very soon not going to be with them soon. He says in verse, uh, 30, uh, 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. I'm not going to be here forever, guys people are not going to be able to tell that you're with me because I'm not going to be here any longer. So you have to designate yourself. Your behavior to each other has to be so over-the-top loving of each other that people will unmistakably think to themselves, that's a Christian. Even when Jesus is not physically there, people will be able to tell that you are a Christian not because of Jesus' physical presence but because of the way that you treat others. Not by anything else. How do you treat other people this morning? What does love look like? Okay, we, we know this Jesus. We know that we've, we get the idea. We know that we're supposed to love each other. We know, we know that you're not going to be with us here forever. We know that the only way that people are going to identify us as Christians is by our way of treating each other. So what does that actually look like? It is not simply being a nice person, although that's part of it. It is treating your neighbor the same way that Jesus would treat them. What is that? Love encourages each other. It is kind to other. Love gives to other people. Sacrificial giving to Others is the way that Jesus loves us. Titles do not show you're a disciple. Being a pastor doesn't necessarily mean that I am a disciple of Christ. Power or position doesn't make you a disciple of Christ. You being in church today does not make you necessarily a disciple of Christ. No, what makes you a disciple of Jesus? Accepting Christ and loving others. Those are the things that make you a disciple of Christ. I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad we're all a part of this church. I'm glad that you have decided to uh, make church an important part of your life and worship God. But those things are all part of what the core idea of of what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And the core idea is this, that loving others ought to take priority. David Livingston was a Scottish missionary that explored Africa in the 1800s. Many of you might know who David Livingston was. And although David Livingston was known as a great explorer, he he also had a great burden for the African people. And so he spent many years, 33 in fact, sharing the gospel, loving the native people, forging new pathways to new people so that way he could bring the gospel in the 1800s to the African people. He spent 33 years in Africa. It was almost a decade from the last contact that anybody from the outside world had heard from him. Nobody knew if he was still alive. Nobody knew if he was even still active or, or, or sharing the gospel with the people. But we do know that David Livingston absolutely loved the people he ministered to. How do we know this? Well, finally, in 1873, we find out that David Livingston died from malaria and dysentery. The, the, the people that he was living with at the time, the, the local villagers found him in his hut. And they found him dead, but the position they found him in was the most interesting part. They found him kneeling in prayer. They found, they found David Livingston dead. He had died while he was praying to God. And the local natives, they found him, they took his body and they carried it Hundreds of miles to the coast of Africa, and they gave his body to the English ship to be shipped back to England, but not before they had cut his heart out and buried it in a tree. They told the ship, you can have his body, but our heart belongs, but his heart belongs to us. David Livingston loved those people. I wonder if it could be said to us today, about us today, do we love people? Do we love others? Do we love others the same way that Jesus loves us? Jesus shows love to his betrayer. He gave his disciples a new commandment, but finally I see this morning that Jesus warns Peter of his denial. Jesus warns Peter of his denial, verse number 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? The disciples have been confronted with two new pieces of information. Number one, Jesus is leaving. And number two, Jesus commanded them to love one another. Which one do you think Jesus wanted them to focus on? He wanted them to focus on this new commandment. Little children, a new commandment I'm giving to you. I'm not going to be with you forever. So focus on this command that I'm about to give to you. And as is typical of Simon Peter and about all the other disciples, what is the first question they ask? It's not about what Jesus is wanting them to focus on. (laughs) It is this. It's Jesus, where are you going? Where are you going, Jesus? No no focus on the command that Jesus has given them. No concern about what Jesus has just told them to do. No, it's, Jesus, where are you going? Jesus responds to Peter, that's irrelevant, Peter, because where I'm going, you cannot come, verse 33. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you. Jesus says in verse number 36, Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. It's irrelevant, Peter. It doesn't matter where I'm going right now because you're not going to follow me anyway. What I'm trying to tell you is this. I want you to love the flock. I want you to love my sheep the same way that I have loved you. And Peter is caught up in this emotion. He's, he's no doubt trying to digest and process this, this, this idea that this rabbi this leader this teacher that he's known that he's loved for the past three years he spent three years with jesus and jesus is telling him i'm not going to be here anymore see you later he's caught up in this emotion that he's feeling verse 37 so peter just speaks out brashly lord why can i not follow you now i will lay down my life for your sake talk talk is cheap peter Peter, you say that you're going to lay down your life for me, but in just a few hours, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. You're going to deny me three times. Jesus rebukes Peter and says, You're going to deny me three times before the day is over. In less than 24 hours, Peter. You can talk big all you want. You can say you love Jesus all you want. But until you actually put action to your words, they're just words. I'm going to lay down my life for you, Jesus. How many of us have said that before? I'm going to die for Christ. I'm going to, they'll have to shoot me before I'm going to give up my Bible. Be careful before you make those kinds of statements. The time is coming, church. it, It may come. The United States of America will not be here forever. We may go through the same persecution that they're seeing in other countries soon. Are we ready? Talk is cheap, Peter. The physical presence of Jesus is not necessary for us to show love to one another. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you don't need me here to show love to your fellow to your fellow believers. We don't need Jesus physically present in the room to carry out his last command. We don't need Jesus always over our shoulder to make sure that we're carrying out the great commission. In fact, Jesus is not present in the room right now. He's not physically here. Now, is he God? Is he omnipresent? Yes, of course. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus was saying to his disciples, guys, I'm not going to be with you forever. I'm not going to be physically here any longer. You need to carry the baton that I'm handing you and you need to love unbelievers enough so that they will accept me as well. That is the last command that Jesus gives. Love each other and tell others about me. You may deny Christ. None, and none of us in here are perfect. You may bring shame to his name. You may make mistakes. Indeed, I think we have all done so at one point or another because we are all still human. But you know, the encouraging thing about Peter is this, that even though he denied Jesus three times, we see him just a few weeks later preaching the gospel to thousands of people in the book of Acts. Nobody is too far gone for Jesus. Peter would fail before the night and he would still stay faithful to Jesus. Judas, on the other hand, would betray Jesus, hang himself, and go to hell. You may be Peter. You may be Judas. I don't know who you are. I would presume that most of us in here are believers, but if in the chance there is somebody in here that has not accepted Christ as their Savior, don't let another day go past without accepting him today. Believers, do you really want to know that you, do you really want to show that you are a disciple of Jesus? Don't make bold statements on Facebook. Don't make bold statements to your family members or things that we could never verify even if uh, we, even if it, it might come true in several years. Don't, Say bold things. Love people. Do not let your emotionalism, don't let your big talk get in the way of actually loving others the way that Jesus loves you. Because saying that you love Jesus and actually loving others is very different from each other. I'll leave you with this. Talk is cheap, correct? There are two presidents at least that we know that seem to have made an avoidance or avoided the draft 1963 to 1968 the vietnam war was raging of course and both bill clinton and president george w bush somehow figured out ways to dodge the draft uh, bill clinton uh, received deferments he joined an ROTC program that uh, allowed him to receive a draft number that was way down below on the list and so avoided being drafted into the Vietnam War. George W. Bush graduated from Yale in 68 and joined the Texas Air National Guard and in that way because he joined the National Guard there was almost no there was almost no possibility that he would be drafted into the uh th- that the National Guard would be deployed into Vietnam and so avoided conveniently, being drafted into the the United States Army. Both United States presidents, both nominally patriotic, both standing for something that was supposed to be the epitome of leadership and patriotism, love and pride for the United States of America, so vocally supportive of the U.S. and all that she stands for, but when it came time for them to perform their duties, they avoided being drafted into the armed forces. You can say a lot of things. You can say a lot of things that are in support of an ideal. You can say a lot of things that are in support of Christianity. You can say that you would go to death for Jesus. But whether you do or not is irrelevant because the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is this. Are you loving others the way Jesus loves you?